0: Bismillah Rahman Rahim Alhamdulillah Hirabbilin Wasala to Wassala Ashrafila Mbiyah Iwan Mur Salin Abiin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabi ajmaen a mabad asalaamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatu Allahman fa'ana bi ma' Alam Tenah, wa allimnay and fauna, waar Zukna inmatan fauna bi Ameen orabbil alameen. Uh Alhamdulillah, we continue tonight with Buluhul Maram and specifically Sifa tul Chapter which deals with the description of the salah. The description of the salah, the last lesson we started last week um, after lockdown, we discussed the kunud. The yes. Correct, we discussed the qunut that should be done in Salatul Witr at times. That's what we basically said, right? That the, that the qunut should be done in Witr when now and then. Not all the time, but now and then this is what the Hadith basically indicates to us. So we went through the Hadith and we went through the explanation of the Qunut. The explanation of the Qunut. The next Hadith, which we should have covered last week, is also about the Qunut, very briefly, narrated by Al-Bayhaqi or in the the book of Al-Bayhaqi from Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma he said kana rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama yuallimuna du'a'an nad'u bihi fil that rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama used to teach us a du'a that we used to supplicate with in salatu al-subh in which uh, we used to supplicate with in the qunut in salatu al-subh meaning fajr However, Ibn Hajar, the author he says, "Wafi sanadhi daf. In his chain of narration, there is weakness, daaf. It's a weak narration. As we said before, that this is a weak uh, narration. There's other narrations as well, which is also weak uh, regarding the regarding the qunut in fajr. Ta'ib. And the most correct view is that it's not a sunnah to do the qunut in fajr unless there's a need for that, like in times of calamity. Huh? It can be done in any other salah. Even dhuhr and asr and maghrib and isha, not just fajr. Like, in uh, example, the leader or the imam decides he needs to make dua for certain people who are suffering. Like well, in. Politics, no? Maybe, if it gets to an extent where they feel it should be done and it's decided by the correct people, then it can be done. Right? But often in times of war, when the Muslims are being killed, they would make dua for them. For the assistance and the aid, and likewise, they would make du'a against the oppressors, right? And this often happens even to this day, when things get, you know, tough, maybe in uh, Palestine or in Syria or in places. Often, you find the imams they make kunut for assistance. The the al-nazila is called khunut al-nazila. When something happens, they they decide we're all going to make kunut. For example, and this happens, right? But generally in Salatul Fajr, it's not established as part of the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So we move on from the Qunut issue to the next hadith. The next hadith is narrated from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, who said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, If sajada ahadukum a yabruk who has been sent, then you cannot be sent as the and before have Now this hadith, and the next hadith, there is a lot of kalam from the ulama, a lot of discussion, a lot of back and forth, a lot of difference of opinion on this hadith, along with the following hadith. So what's the following hadith? So the first hadith was the hadith of Abu Hurairah. This, what does the hadith say? The hadith of Abu Hurairah says, when one of you is about to perform sajda, He's about to prostrate. He should not kneel down like the the camel kneels down, or similar to the way the camel kneels down. And he should place his hands before his before his knees. He should place his hands before his knees. And this hadith is narrated in three books, Abu Dawood, Al-Nasa'i and Al-Tirmidhi. right, that's what Ibn Hajar says. And he says it's stronger than the hadith of Wail Ibn Hujr. Wail Ibn Hujr, a famous narrator of hadith as well, especially in these chapters, the chapters of Salah. Especially in the chapter of the description of the Salah, Wail Ibn Hujr narrates many a hadith and many details of the Salah. So he says that hadith of Abu Hurairah is stronger than the hadith of Wa'il. So that's the second hadith now. Abu Hurairah's hadith is stronger than the hadith of Wa'il. Wa'il hadith, what does it say? Wa'il ibn Hujr, he narrates, he says, Ra'aytu al-Nabiyya, sallallahu <laughs> alayhi wa sallam, idha sajada, wada'a rukbatayhi qabla yadayhi. He says, I saw the Prophet ﷺ when he was about to prostrate, about to go into sujood. He placed his knees before his, his hands. And this hadith is narrated by four books of hadith. The first one was three, this one is four. This one is Abu Dawood, At-Tirmidhi, An-Nasa'i, and Ibn Majah. Okay. Do we see a, a, a problem here? Is there contradiction? What does the first hadith say? In one, in one of you. Yes. The a prophet. Okay. What else? Um we should not kneel like a camel. Okay, you and then one is like before the No. The first hadith says you should not kneel the way the camel kneels. And then it says, and you should place your hands before your knees. That's the end of the hadith. So the hadith is two parts. When you want to prostrate, do not kneel down the way the camel kneels down. And therefore, you should place your hands before your knees. That's the hadith of Abu Hurairah. Right? That's the hadith of Abu Hurairah. The second hadith of Wa'il says, I saw the Prophet ﷺ when he prostrated, he placed his knees before his hands. You see the contradiction now, Right? So there's clearly a, an issue here with two hadiths which contradict each other What seems to contradict <coughs> each other Taib Ibn Hajar says the first hadith of Abu Hurairah is stronger than the hadith of Wa'il It is stronger than the hadith of Wa'il as he says here in Buloog, Okay. So let's get into the, into the first hadith Either asajda means when you are about to make sujood As you are about to perform sajda. And he says, don't go down, don't kneel down the way the camel kneels down. So place your hands before, before your knees. طيب um, Just for a small benefit in Arabic, the word used here ba'ir. بَعِير yabrukul Ba'ir. الْبَعِيرُ بَعِير is, an, is a camel. Ba'ir is a camel in Arabic. Ba'ir. It's a camel that's male or female. Meaning, when you see any camel, you can say that's a ba'ir. Right? irrespective of the gender. If you see a male camel, what's the name in Arabic? Jamalun. Have you heard this word before? Jamal. Right? Jamal is a male camel. And Naqah is also a camel, it's a female camel. Right? Naqatun. Naqatun is a female camel. Jamalun is a male camel. Ba'ir is just a camel. Irrespective of whether it's male or female, it's the camel. Right? So the hadith is not specifying whether male or female, it's just speaking about a camel in general. Um, <clears throat> it is it Jamal or Jamal? Jamal, Jamal. Uh, <laughs> lun or, lin or lan, it depends on the context, okay. right? It's a Jamal, let's say Jamal. Um, so benefits of this hadith, the first hadith. Some scholars, they use this hadith and what do they say? What do they derive from this hadith? The first hadith, Abu Hurairah. What's the clearest thing that you would derive from this hadith? Okay, what is that? And go to the next part. hands place That's what they extracted from this hadith. A certain group of scholars took this hadith and said what? When you go into Sajda, you place your hands before your knees. You place your hands before your knees. Right? That's based on this hadith. This is what they said. Other ulama did not agree with this. Other ulama said, there's a problem here in this hadith. And they said that when the camel kneels, how does a camel kneel? Huh? Yes. Where's the camel's knees? The camel's knee, sorry. Okay.
1: Where? Where is it, it only, placed?
0: It only places I mean, is on feet. Front, yeah. So the front Correct. A camel goes down on his... The front legs goes down first. And then the back legs. You understand? So the second group of scholars, they said... This hadith is problematic. Because the first part of the hadith Doesn't coincide with the second part of the hadith Why? The first part says You should not kneel the way the camel kneels So therefore place your hands before your knees But they argue that The camel places His hands before his knees He he goes down on his front Before the back so the, the hadith itself is contradicting itself. Do you understand? So therefore they argued and said, the narrator of the hadith got confused. He mixed the hadith up. Rather the second part is from himself. Where he, where he got mixed up. This qalb in the hadith. Meaning he got mixed up. He got confused. Because the proper wording should be, so therefore place your knees before your hands. Well, that makes more sense in terms of this hadith because according to the camel if you look at the camel the camel goes down on his front and then the back right and that's how they understand the hadith hence they don't agree with this first group of scholars who say hands first and the, the knees they say no this hadith is wrong and sometimes the narrator can make mistakes right sometimes the narrator can make, can make a mistake and we're going to discuss that issue a bit later on so Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, one of the classical Imams, he was of this opinion, he said, this hadith is mun qalab. The narrator, he got confused in this and he, he, he got mixed up basically. Right? He said, rawi bashar. Remember the narrator is a, is a man. Yukhti wa yusib. At times he makes mistakes. Right? At times he makes mistakes and at times of course he is <coughs> correct. So that's the first point. Then the second group argues or the first group argues back and says, when we take the camel, the camel's knees are in front. The knees of the camel are where? Are in the front legs. So when he goes down on the front legs, he's going down on his, on his knees. You understand? That's the argument they making in return. The second group says that is correct. The knees are in the front legs. The knees are in the? front legs but firstly the knees are also in the back legs the camel has four knees a camel has four knees in the front legs and the back legs you understand so if you say that going down because the camel goes on the front legs that's him going down on his knees we should go down on the hands either way he's going down on his knees which means This doesn't prove that what you're trying to say it proves. Either way. Right? Hence, they conclude and they respond to the statement and they say, this hadith is not speaking about hands or knees first. This hadith is actually telling us don't kneel the way the camel kneels. The way the camel kneels. In the manner that the camel kneels. The hadith doesn't actually tell you Hands or knees first. Rather, it's telling us, rather, it's telling us, don't go down the, in the manner that the camel goes down. So, how does the camel go down? How does the camel go down? The camel goes down with his front first. So, don't go down with hands first. Which means, which in our condition would be, don't go down hands first. Rather, go down, you know. From the bottom rather go down from the from the bottom okay another argument they make is that this hadith is inauthentic in any case the hadith is weak in any case as Ibn Hajar saying that it's stronger than the hadith of Wail he said it's stronger than the hadith of Wail because there's another hadith of Ibn Umar which Supports this hadith of Abu Hurairah. And was authenticated by Ibn Khuzayma. And Bukhari mentioned it. Meaning it was. mawkuf, It doesn't reach up to the Prophet His point is. There's supporting evidence. Hence it's stronger. The other side argues and says. Even the supporting evidence is weak. Even the su- supporting evidences are weak. For reasons. And. We're not even going into the details. If you go read up on the details, then they go into each narration, why each narration is weak, because of this narrator, and what this scholar said about that narrator, and it becomes a long discussion. Becomes a long, I was reading on this hadith, most of my time spent reading on this, just this hadith. Just getting through this issue. Some ulama said, this issue takes up so much time, such a small issue. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like a time-wasting issue. Almost like a time-wasting issue. Because it takes so much back-and-forth arguments to get to an opinion that at the end of the day doesn't affect the validity of the salah. Because whether you go down on your hands or your knees, your salah is valid. Do you understand? You're not committing a sin. you do either or. Because both of them are not wajibat or arkan. The argument here is which one is better than the other? Which one is more preferred, is it hands or knees? You understand? As we can see, there's a lot of back and forth, right? And it gets even deeper than that when they go into the narrations, the different narrations. There's even a narration that says, place the the knees before the hands. But the other school argues and says, there's weakness in that narration as well. You understand? From what I've seen, the summary is both of these ahadith have weakness in it. Even the hadith of wa'in has weakness in it. Both of these ahadith have weakness in it. And the supporting evidences also have weakness in it. Also have um, weakness in it. Right? So, I think I've summarized the issue in general. Right? This is the point I wanted to read. Ibn Uthaymi says, if you watch a camel, if you watch the way the camel kneels, you will find that he places his hands first. Right? Meaning, he places the higher part of his body before the lower part of his body. He places the higher part of the body, which is the front, down before he places the... The lower part of the body down hence if we place our higher part of our body which is our hands down first then we are resembling the the camel and this is the prohibition in the hadith he says it's not to do with uh, knees or hands it's actually because the hadith does not say don't go down on the part that the camel goes down upon or don't go down on the knees like the camel goes down on the knees or don't go down to the hands like the camel go down. It doesn't mention those parts. It just says, the first part of the hadith says, don't kneel the way that the camel, similar to the way the camel kneels. Meaning, it's, it's, it's not referring to the parts necessarily, it's referring to the, the manner in which the camel kneels. And what does the camel do? He places the higher part of his body before the lower part. Hence, we should not place the higher part of our body before the lower part. Hence we should go down on the knee and not on the, on the hands. You understand? Subhanallah. This is. So prefer knees than hands. But this is still weakness There is weakness in the hadith, yes. But, the, but uh, the scholarly? Preferably I would say knees first. Based on this argument. And added to this argument, added to this argument, this is easier for most people. Some pe- a lot of people have difficulty going down on their hands. A lot of people they find it harder to go down on the hands because you need to be balanced. Yeah, but you always like find that elderly tends to use the hands not to put the pressure on the knees. But that's that's a different situation. That's somebody who has weak knees, for example. That's not in a normal situation now. You understand? We if we're speaking about. Somebody who's forced, like he's got a bad week, uh, bad knees, for example. So he has to go down in his hands first. That's completely different. Then for him, we say you must do it that way. Irrespective of what the other scholars and views say. For him, we say you have to because it's easier for you and there's difficulty for you to do it the other way. Then avoid the difficulty. Avoid the difficulty. Right? That's one point. That's a separate point, which is a good point to make as well. Anybody who has difficulty in one of these options, we say to him, take the easier option. Don't put yourself through difficulty, especially in the salah. Especially on this type of issue. It's not a wajib. It's not a rukun. It's not a, you understand? Take the easier option without a doubt. Coming back to the issue of the knees first, added to this, we said it's easier for most people. And it's more natural. If you were to tell anybody go down. Naturally, people go down on their knees first. It's, it's more in flow with the, the natural inclination of people. Added to this, which is the strongest evidence, one of the strongest evidences is it's authentically narrated from Umar ibn Khattab and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud that they would go down on their knees first. It's authentically narrated from who? Umar ibn Khattab and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, two well-known companions, known for their knowledge, known for their deep knowledge. It's authentically narrated from them, and this can be found in the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shaiba, that they would go down off on their knees first. You understand? That Hadith just, just said, the Prophet went down on his knees first and does not continue or say. Which which one is this now? Um, no, no. It's narrated that that's how he did the sajda. Somebody somebody described the way Umar made sajda. Oh, okay. He went on his knees first. And Abdul all the same. He went on his knees first. Are you with me? It's okay. not that he narrated a hadith that the we're Prophet said. The they were watching him. You understand? Uh, and that's why most scholars say Go down on the knees first and then not on the hands. Most ulama say this. Right? Um, But as we can see from this issue, it's not an issue to fight over. Somebody goes on the hands, no problem. Somebody goes on the knees, no problem. It's one of those issues where you choose which view you feel is correct. which, Which view you feel makes the most sense. And you follow it. You understand? The same with many issues of the salah. For example, when you come up from the record, you put your hands back on your chest, do you let it hang by the sides? Right, we spoke about that issue. Again, whichever view you follow, follow that view. It's, it, it's always going to be differed over. But did not you said, oh, back on the side is weak? That's not the thing. Me? Yes. No, I didn't did say that. We discussed it. No, I didn't say that. Surely not. You see, there's no hadith that says, put it back there or let it hang by the side. Hadith doesn't speak about it. It's it's not mentioned in the hadith. Hence, the difference of opinion is so strong. If it was mentioned, we'd have all been on that view. You understand? So, that issue, how does the issue go? The Prophet said, when you're standing in the salah, when the Prophet stood, he would place his right hand over his left hand and put it on his chest. Or put the right hand over the left, right? Now, you, when you're going to ruku' and you come up, you are standing once again, correct? So the ulama used that first hadith and says, You are standing. Hence the hadith applies, put the hands back on the chest. Other scholars said, No, 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 that hadith is speaking about when you're standing and before the ruku'. Not after the ruku. It doesn't apply to after the ruku because that's a different position, and that's why they differed. That's how they differed over the issue. Yes. Yes. No, 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 no. I'm not speaking about that issue. I see it coming up from the Ruku. No, the ruku, yes, no, the elect, no before it. the Ruku we all agree the sunnah is to place the right over the, the left. That hadith is in Bukhari. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I was speaking about that section. No, that that section, no doubt. No, no, stand other, by the to stand with the hands on the side There's no authenticity yes, so we in it. Can do both. It's better to do both. Perhaps we can do both, yes. To act upon both views, to mix it up, because there's no clear-cut evidence for <coughs> any view. Some scholars lean to the one, some scholars lean to the other. Majority of the ulama say let the hands hang by the side at that position, majority. But other scholars said, no, you are standing, hence you you stand like you were standing before. But there's no clear cut text, hence there's a difference of opinion. Uh, this issue, there clear cut text, but they argue authenticity. And such to the extent that they argue that the hadith is qalb, is fi qalb, meaning that the narrator got mixed up. Right? Maybe a good point to mention here is, the hassle is that we do not doubt the narrator right the general rule is what we don't doubt the narrator's narration so if we say he got mixed up for example that doesn't mean you can take any hadith and say the, the narrator got mixed up i don't agree with the hadith doesn't make sense so we can say that he got mixed up you understand this is very important as well to mention um, the point here is, they argued this point because it differed against, the, they said the hadith didn't make sense to them. To them, it, it, it was a contradicting statement to the first part of the hadith itself. Never mind the second hadith. That is why they said he was, there's something wrong with this text. That's why they said he got mixed up, because it doesn't add up what he's saying. You understand? Um, and Allah knows best, right? The main thing to understand is this. No scholars, except very few, one or two maybe, said that this is a matter of wajibat. That you must go down on the hands or the knees. You must. Most of the scholars, what were they differing over? Which one is preferred? So whichever one people follow, they should not be criticized for following that. They should not be criticized for following any of those views because it's a matter of difference of opinion and that difference of opinion will always be there, right? Because there's no clear-cut evidence for any of the two views. Secondly, majority of scholars say which view? Majority of the ulama say which view? The knees knees first, right? This is the view of Imam al-Shafi'i, Imam Abu Hanifa, and also Ahmad, right? A second group of scholars, which is a narration from Imam Ahmad Said hands first Right? One view of Imam Ahmad said Hands first And other scholars Like Sheikh Albani, In the famous book that people generally teach Sifat Salah, You will see he's a strong supporter of which view? Hands first That's why a lot of people Who follow that Use that book They will say hands first But They haven't delved deep into this mas'ala They haven't gone deep into the issue of all the Arguments back and forth Of the narrations And, and all of that and then there's a third view which says, "Do whichever one's easier for you. You can do whichever one. Both is fine." There's a third view which says, "Anyone is fine. Anyone is fine, right?" And that view has a point. They have a point. Anyone is fine, but which one is more preferred? Allah alam, it seems to be knees first, and Allah knows best. Allah knows best. Tayyib. We move on to the next hadith from Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma anna rasul allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana idha qa'ada litashahudi wada'a yadahu al-yusra ala rukbatihi al-yusra wal-yumna ala al-yumna wa aqada Wahamsina wa ashara bi-isba'ihi a sababa Rahu muslim wa fi riwayat lahu wa qabada asabi'ahu kullaha wa ashara bi-allati ibham this hadith here yeah, speaks about the description of the tashahud and how to place the hands in the tashahud. The tashahud meaning the Tahiyyah, right? The tahiyat. So the hadith says, the from of Abdullah ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, that Rasulullah when he sat for tashahud, when he sat for tashahud, he would place his right, his left hand on his left, Knee, the hadith mentions knee, on the left knee, meaning on the end there, on, the, on, on the end of the knee, right? Between the thigh and the knee, the end there, he would place his left hand on his left knee. And the right hand upon the, the right knee. And he formed a ring, he formed a, a ring like 53, 53. Wa And he pointed with his sababa. Sababa is this finger? The index finger. Right? Why is it called a sababa? it comes from the word sab. What is sab? Sab means to sway and to curse. So in Arabic, what used to happen? People used to curse each other with and like people do in, this, in, in, in the West as well, you point, isn't it so? People say, don't point at me. Huh? People take offence, don't point at me. Right? The people used to curse and swear, they used to do this with the, with the, with the sabbaba. This became known as the sababa, the finger that's used for, for pointing at people and cursing them, or swearing at them. That's where it actually comes from, the word sababa, comes from the word sab in Arabic. But this is called the, this finger is called the, Sababa. This finger in Arabic. The index finger is called the Sababa. Um, so the Hadith says he pointed with his sababa. With that finger, meaning the index finger. In another narration it says, Wa kullaha, meaning he grasped all of his fingers and he pointed with the finger next to the thumb. The ibham is the thumb. Meaning the he pointed with obviously the index finger. Tayyip, let's move on. What does that mean? He formed a 53 with his hand, with his fingers. Right? Ibn Uthaymi says, This was how the Arabs sometimes used to speak. This is a, a definition that's used by the terminology that's used by the Arabs. In, instead of saying, Um, what's the meaning, basically? The meaning is, rah- rahmukallah that he used to clench his or, or what's the word, uh, grasp his fingers. Maybe you can show, right? All of them until the thumb. So all the fingers were like, like you, you almost like you're making a fist, like you're grasping your hand. All of the fingers were that, were like this, right? So the thumb was to the three, clenched. And what was left behind? The sababa was left by which he pointed with. So this is the one way to do the tashahud. Right? It's very simple, very easy. You just clench your hand together, put your thumb on those fingers, and you're pointing with the the index finger. Um, A second way to do this is, What's the second way? I'm sure you've learned it before. Right? That's the second way. The second way is... The second way is to have the thumb attached to the middle finger. Right? Attached to the the middle finger. And to take the Khinsar and the Binsar. What's the Khinsar and the Binsar? those two the small one and the what we call the ring finger the khinsar is your pinky or your baby finger and your binsar which is this one over here you keep those two together and you connect it with the, the thumb or the middle finger with the middle finger uh, and what's left behind is the index finger by which with which you uh, well, point Yes, I'm just thinking that this is not to go flat And when he used to make dua, he used to Move the index finger that's what Ibn Tayyamin, rahimahullah says only during, dua. during dua, yes Again, there's difference of opinion, man. It's, it's, it's one of those issues, again, where you're going to have one scholar saying throughout, one scholar saying only oh, in, the, in the dua, another scholar saying, don't move it at all. It's one of those issues, just like the previous issue, so there's, there's room and leeway for those differences of opinion. Benefits of this hadith. Every part of the body in the salah has you know a specific way of being placed in the in the uh, as an ibadah yani. You know, all these parts of the body must be used specifically and must be done in a specific way. It's 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 part of the ibadah. The hadith also teaches us about how to place the hands in the Tashahud. Right? That the right hand goes away. On the right knee, the left hand was on the left knee. Also in another narration it mentions thighs. Huh? On the on the thighs, which means it doesn't reach the knees. It doesn't reach the, the knees. So what what do we do now? We do both. We try to do both. What does that mean? Some salas you put the hands by the knees, other salas on the on the thighs, a little bit higher up. Thighs, we don't mean the upper thighs, no? I mean, that just before the knees, right? The lower thigh. Is, is also this, this whole thing is your thigh, right? So we're not talking about those, your upper thighs here, right, on top. That will also be very awkward, the way you're sitting, isn't it? So, so it's, it's, it's a little bit further down, just before the knees. The other one will be onto the knees, right? Onto the knees. So we try to do both of them. In this way, we are acting upon more of the of the Sunnah So, my understanding is this is the first way, right? This is the first way. The second way is to have these two flat. To have those two flat. (laughs) Khinsar bin sar the Either so or so. Tayyib, um next issue, Ibn U mentions. I have seen some people sitting like this. Like that? Mm. No, that's that's not uh, that people do funny things in the throughout the salah, especially in the shahud, they do funny things with their finger as well. Some of them make circles and some of them all type of things, right? Um, this hadith also tells us that this is only done in the tashahud what about the sitting between the two sajdas right so in that sitting hands are flat and again this is according to the vast majority of ulama hands are flat right some people and they stop and they go on the slope. Yes, I said some people they, make, they play games in, with their finger. Um, yeah, majority of scholars they say in the tashahud that's how you sit. Between the two sajdas, you sit normally. Right? You sit normally. Ibn Allah has a different view. Ibn Usaymin has a view that he agrees with Ibn al-Qayyim where they both say, when you're sitting between the two sajdas, you should sit the way that you're sitting in the tashahud. Meaning you will be, like you're pointing with the finger, the same way that you sit in the tahiyat, you will sit between the two sajdas. The reasoning behind this is similar to the reasoning for the, when you come up from the ruku, you place your hands in the chest, similar reasoning. The tahadith says when you are sitting, when you are sitting, you must be pointing. Hence, that's a place of sitting. So you must be, you must be pointing. And he mentions a hadith, which basically says that the Prophet Sallallahu placed his right hand on his, on his right leg between the two Sajdas, like it was described in the Tashahud. Like it's described in the Tashahud, which means what? That he was pointing between the two. Be- between the two sajdas as well, right? That's the view Ibn Uthayyamin follows. And he argues this view and he says he used to be against this. He used to say, no, the hands must be flat, until he came across this Hadith. And the Hadith is, a- is a- mentioning Mubisana ibn Ahmad and others, and therefore he follows this view, <laughs> right? What did I say? Majority of the Ulama don't agree with this. The vast majority of the Ulama don't agree with this. So some of the other scholars argued and said, no one from the Salaf ever said this. No one from the Salaf ever had this opinion. Why don't we find any scholar from the Salaf having this view? They would have mentioned it in their books. They would have taught this to their followers and so forth. That when you sit in the, between the two Sajdas, you also have to have to point. And that's a strong argument that they make. As well along with that, we have a hadith from one of the Sahabis, Abdullah ibn Zubair. Abdullah ibn Zubair, who refutes this as well. To say that this was not the way he sat between the two sajdas. And that is sufficient for us and we accept that. And therefore this narration that he's mentioning is a narration that's Shadha. It's an odd narration. Because it goes against something that's almost agreed upon. Something that's well known. That's why most scholars don't accept it and they say that the narration is is strange and odd. And it's not acted upon by majority. So we stick to that. And we say between the two sajdas. Keep the hands flat. Keep the hands flat and don't point between the two. Although, if you see somebody doing it, this could be why. This could be why. Now we at least learned that it's an opinion. So it's one of the views of the scholars that even between the two sajdas, they would, they would point. Right? Um, but let's stick to the majority of ulama on this. And the fact is not in the red on the Salaf. Abdullah ibn Zubayr said it shouldn't be done like that. It's a Sahabi. We can accept that. And we uh, do not do this in the. Tashahud. Then he comes to the bas'ala of Tahrik. Um, Tahrik means to, to move the finger. To move the finger. Right? So pointing with the finger is one thing. Moving the finger is something separate. Moving with the finger is something separate. Right? Again, there's two narrations here from this. The one narration says he did not move the finger. The Prophet did not move his finger. Another narration says. He moved the finger whilst making du'a. He moved the finger whilst making du'a. Right? Now what? Some scholars are of the view that you should move the finger throughout the tashahud. Like Sheikh Rahimallah. rahimahullah. He says, the beginning of the tashahud, you start pointing and you start moving the finger. Right? Up until the end. And his argument is that the entire tashahud is like a du'a. It's like a dua. So you should you should make the move the finger throughout the tashahud. Another group of scholars said, like Ibn Usay is of this view, you only move the finger when you are making dua, and it's not the whole tashahud. It's not the whole tashahud. It's only the end of the tashahud where you are making dua. That's when you move the finger. The beginning part, you don't move the finger. So he says, this will be acting upon. Both hadiths. The one hadith doesn't move, the one hadith does move. He so said we use both, and we say beginning you don't move, the end you move. You understand? Ada ulama say no moving of the finger at all. You just point and you don't move. You just point and you don't move. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. It's, it's one of those issues again that there's always going to be difference of opinion. There's always going to be differences of opinion personally. I don't move my finger except now and then, except now and then. So I stick to the asal which is to point, which is to point. The additional narrations of moving and not moving, there is uh, some scholars say it's weak and some scholars say no, we use the hadith and so forth. This is just one of those issues that is always going to be different over. So I point, that's the most important thing. You should point from the beginning of the tashahud right until the end of the salah. So as 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 soon as you get to the Tashahud, you start at Tahiyat, you start with the with pointing. Right until you finish your salam. Until you are finished. As for moving, now and then we can move the finger. Now and then when we make dua, we move the finger. Understand? Now and then when we make dua, we move the finger. That's what I personally follow. Somebody else follows something different. You should know that these are all differences of opinion amongst the scholars and they differ over the authenticity of the hadith, should it be used, should not be used, and so forth. Understand? Um, and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. Are there any Christians? Taib, shall we stop you, inshaAllah? Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, subhanakallahumma, wa hamdik, shayalwa ala ilahi la atastaghfiruka, wa atubu ilayk. Alhamdulillah.